Hello, Charter Folk. Jed here. Very excited about our last Charter Folk chat of the year. Uh, when I told my wife about this one, she said, Jed, are you crazy? <laughs> I am inviting to this Charter Folk chat uh, Larry Rosenstock and Don Shalby. Uh, and my wife reminded me that if there are two people in the world who will take less direction from me than Don and Larry, it's I, she doesn't know who they would possibly be. But I'm delighted to have them both here uh, and uh, uh, we'll, We'll have them show up now. There, there they go. These, these uh, mischief makers that have, at different points in my life, you know, been either the people I've learned the absolute most from, or the people who've driven me most crazy. Right? <laughs> uh, I now get you guys both, you know, on a uh, on a call today. But excited to have you here because you're both going through, you know, really important transitions. Uh, to do things in your life. So uh, to both of you, thank you for uh, for being a part of uh, our Charter Folk Chat today. My pleasure. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you, Jen. So, so um, Charter Folk Chat, don't, Charter Folk don't need much introduction to, to Larry and Don. Uh, Larry was the founder and the, and the CEO at High Tech High, was there for 20 years and just uh, recently retired. Also in his final year, he did win the Wise Prize, which I don't know how to describe it other than perhaps the most prestigious uh, prize for an educator in the world. Um, so uh, it's a great moment to be able to check in with Larry as he's finishing up that service and now thinking about his next chapter. And then Don, founder at, C at, at Aspire, a uh, great run also at the Gates Foundation, uh, and now making this transition uh, to be working in the Stockton area to improve public education there. Um, so uh, just awesome to have you guys both here. I thought I would start with this question, um, that was occurring to me. Um, it relates to how I first heard you guys refer to one another. Larry, you, you, I don't know if you'll remember this or not, but um, the first time you guys knew each other before I met either of you. Um, and Larry, the first time I ever heard you refer to Don, you referred to him as a brother from another mother. And that was the first time I'd ever even heard of that term before, right? And then, you know, six months later, I'm with Don up in the Bay Area somewhere. And Don refers to you, Larry, as a brother from another mother. Um, so the first two times I heard that expression, I heard it from the two of you talking about one another. So I thought a good way to start would be maybe just to hear you guys talk about one another. What was it? What was the spark between you guys uh, such that you recognized that you had a special connection and maybe a partner you'd be working with you know, for the rest of your careers? Rod, who goes first? Don, you, Don, you want to go first? I mean, Don, excuse me. I, I I would be I'd be happy to um, if I if I had a Mount Rushmore of education heroes, uh, Larry would be on it, and he would be on it because of his relentless desire to do the uncommon thing uncommonly well, and um, and you know when I first met Larry, we resonated about our East Coast upbringing. Uh, I, I just found Larry's background in, uh, in industry and in carpentry and in law, um, you know, the kind, the kind of insight that I just uh, enjoyed so much. And then he made the choice to go into education um, and, and to do it in a way that I often describe Larry is serious about the work 
but not serious about himself. And um, that's, that's exactly the kind of individual who I have um, found great. And I count Larry among my closest uh, friends and mentors. Okay. Wow. My Larry, you want to take a run at it? Yeah. Of course I would. You know, I, I'm going to start with his ending because that, that part about not taking yourself too seriously, which we, which we both have a lot of, even though we work seriously, my greatest memories are driving in a car with him. And if any of you ever have a chance to do it and listening to him while he's playing different histories of music, all of which we have heard and explaining who wrote it, why, when, and everything is, is another part of him that I find absolutely fascinating. Another thing for me um, in, in the transition to coming to the, to the West Coast, frankly, uh, since we're both from the East Coast, is that, um, is that I landed, I, I, I had written something uh, called The Walls uh, Come Down. I wrote this in 1990, I just found it. The Overdue Reunification of Vocational and Academic Education. And you, I also have something here from Einstein in which he talked about overemphasis on competition and, and um, et cetera, et cetera, ruins the, the essence of which education really holds. So mm -hmm. the idea for me was coming as a vocational teacher after being a law school was, wait a second, the kids in the top floor of the very old high school I was working in were the wealthy kids and the kids on the bottom floor were the not wealthy kids and i was teaching carpentry after law school with the downstairs kids and i realized wait a second i went upstairs sometimes i mean i went to law school myself and i went i was up on the top floor I said these kids are every bit as bright as everybody else why are they being segregated then i had the opportunity i think very much as 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 my my friend here has, um, is that Don and, o and I both, we ran into, Rod and I both ran into um, Erwin Jacobs, first of all, who nearly mm -hmm. invented cell phones or messed the most gutty part of it, and also Bill Gates. And I remember, I remember seeing both of them at the same time. I've seen each of them several times. He has as well. Here are two people that were extremely Successful as a, as a, right, and what they both wanted to do, in my view, was have kids create new knowledge, and 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 I was open to doing that, um, and my colleague uh, was as well, and so so he and I have had, you know, from the north from from Don's north part of the state to my southern part of the state, semi north, uh, we clicked on a lot of different levels. Um, the other thing I just have to say without going on too long is I just absolutely love his sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Well, thank you guys. Hard. You can't work hard without a great sense of humor. <laughs> we all go crazy, right? Thank. Well, thank you guys. I appreciate that. Maybe um, we could just go into like what what's going on with your with your professional transitions right now, and and what you're most focused on. Um, they, they, there's really you know two two parts to this question here that kind of look back. What are you uh, thinking about in terms of your accomplishments and and, uh, and 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 how you're putting a bow on just you know great service where you've where you've previously been, but then also what are you thinking about next? We'd love to hear you guys both talk about those two things. 
So. Go ahead, Larry. You go. I took I I took first last time. Okay, good. So, um, well, it was last September that I was in Cape Verde with my son and his fiance. Uh, I suggest everybody go there and realize they were going to get married. And um, and I realized that it was time for me to stop. That that was it was essentially a personal thing, and I told uh, Gary Jacobs, my board chair, and I told um, his dad, Erwin Jacobs, and uh, fortunately I did, because there's a lot of people in this business who waited many many months to say they were leaving when everything was upside down, and um, these two had an opportunity to find someone, and the person they found is really really strong. That's a long way of saying that, um, as Jed mentioned before, I won the Wise Prize. That was a little bit of a surprise to me. I was there at Christmas in Dakar. I was very surprised. I didn't really know it was going to happen. And Her Highness was lovely. Three meals I had with her, 3,500 people from all over the world in this auditorium where several of us spoke. I spoke each day. Um, and the reason I, well, that she told me um, that I won was because I was trying to create new knowledge. So here's a third person from another part of the country who thinks we need to create new knowledge and not just lie back on what everything everybody wrote, like the Committee of Ten of 1896, who wrote English History, Math, and Science. Everyone says, oh, yeah, English History, Math, and Science. What else is there? A lot else. <laughs> okay. So finally, um, with the prize, uh, half of our team is with a very hefty group of resources is putting together, uh, almost done now, they've been working on it for months, a collection of the best work of students at High Tech High K through 12 um, mm -hmm. that is digital and also publishable and will be given for free to anybody in the world who hears this mm -hmm. and wants it. And secondly, um, there's another chunk that she left for me. Um, and that, and she asked me what I was going to do with it. And I said, I am an internationalist. My parents came from different languages. Every, almost everybody listening to the two of us today and the three of us today have people that came from someplace else. And so, um, so, and I'm going to, I'm going to for sure ask each of you to, if you feel mm -hmm. like to join one of these or two of these trips and, wow. and sit down with people and, and say, here's what we're doing. Let me show you some work. Tell me what you're thinking about. The point is, finally, it's not just that they're learning from us. It's that we're learning from them. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Don, what are you what are you thinking about uh, looking back as well as, you know, what do, what do you have going on now at Stockton more specifically? Yeah. Thanks, Jed. So um, I, I think one of the things you learn as you season in your life is what your shelf life is. And. <laughs> You know, I started my uh, I started my teaching career the summer of love, and you know that's over mm -hmm. fifty years ago. And what I have learned is that I, for whatever reason, have about a a, a ten year shelf life. So you know, I spent twenty years in Merced, you know, basically ten years in the as a superintendent in San Carlos, ten years at Aspire, eleven years at the Gates Foundation, and so. You know, you begin you begin to want to replant. Uh, I want to begin to replant uh, about every decade, mm -hmm. and sometimes life just uh, helps you with that decision. So we had our first grandchild, and for the last eleven years, 
I have been uh, toggling between the Emerald City in Seattle uh -huh. and our and our uh, and our ranch on the east side of San Joaquin County. And so, you know, what what's your final act look like? And uh, my final act looks like um, following John Lennon's line. You think globally, of which you get a great chance to do at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, where you travel everywhere. You get to meet the brightest, most innovative people in a sector. Um, and that's valuable. It's so valuable for me. It's like a 10 year sabbatical, quite frankly. Uh, but as Lennon said, you think globally and you act locally. And I, I care more now about my local environment where, you know, I have been since the mid 80s, you know, one, because uh, I feel like it's my responsibility as a citizen. And two, because I'm now going to have a granddaughter in the education system. Mm -hmm. yep. And you start thinking differently about this when they're your own kids. And quite honestly, for me, yeah. even more thoughtfully when they're your grandkids, you know, <laughs> is, which yeah. is fantastic. So we, uh, I came back uh, home and, um, and basically uh, raised a little bit of funding to start an organization called San Joaquin A+. And San Joaquin A+, is countywide effort to do a few things. One, do and try to do and try to, um, try to inspire young Larry Rosenstocks and quite frankly, young Jed Wallace's to do the uncommon thing uncommonly well, focused on new designs that link education and the economy mm -hmm. and the emerging workforce in San Joaquin County. So uh, a lot of focus around what early college high schools would do. And then quite honestly, uh, a play around teacher preparation of which you both know well from your high tech high work. We just got notification that, that an effort we are sponsoring called building a teacher village in Stockton has uh, has gotten approval to get into negotiations for ten acres of of city land in Stockton. Uh -huh. that yield a place where you know teachers can live together for their first three years of teaching. So you know we're, wow. we're trying to we're trying to turn the tide in San Joaquin County and make That's the right. kids and and make the kids we grow as good as the walnuts, cherries, and all. <laughs> I find it I find it fascinating that. You know, if I were to describe the two of you guys, um, what you are most passionate about, you know, I, I would say, Larry, yours is about a particular pedagogy. It's about an idea that, you know, adolescents primarily, of course, the, the littler ones too, but where does it really start for you? It's with the teenagers, right? If we can give our adolescents a different experience in school, right? If we can teach them in a different way, we're going to send them on a different trajectory, right? And so you're on this next stage, which is actually going deeper in the pedagogy, right? And Don, you know, if there's anything that's just oozed out of everything I've ever, you know, heard about, you know, from you, it's always been this deep, deep passion for the Central Valley, right? And the critical need to make education better. And so, I mean, I, I don't know, there's for, just from an op observation standpoint, um, there's just great poetry in what both you guys are doing. Uh, and so excited to see what you guys what you guys get done. Um, let me I, let me I just interrupt something. Don is is uh, we're both the same age, but basically Don is the uncle that everybody <laughs> wants to have, <laughs> <laughs> and that's a compliment. 
is. Well, it's true. Because yeah, nice, nice of you to say, Larry. I, yeah, to your to your point. Look, uh, Creedence Clearwater was wrong. It's really yeah. not that bad to be stuck in Lodi. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's, I love a, it. it's a pretty good deal. Yeah. Let me let me let me zero in a little bit on the circumstance of charter schools, right? Because you guys also happen to be making this transition um, mm -hmm. during a period nationally um, where charter schools are experiencing, you know, challenges as severe as we've ever seen. But certainly in California, where both of you guys did the lion's share of your work, um, where we've seen charter schools experience an, an amazing challenge. And I just wonder. What are your guys' uh, thoughts about about the circumstance that we find ourselves in? How sobered? How concerned are you? Um, how much are you thinking about things that we could be doing differently or better? Uh, just love to throw it open to either one of you. Where, what are your thoughts about where charter schools stand right now? Well, I'm going to give a quick one while while Don does the smart thinking here. You know, when I hear on the radio um, from people in public schools talking and saying that charters are taking kids away from their schools and their school districts. Um, I'm sure that Don has never, and I have never taken a kid from a school in my entire career. Parents who love their children more than anything else in their life, bring them to our schools. So that is a false a dialogue, which I, I need to just say at the outset in terms of the posture that we're in right now. Obviously, there's a lot. Look at how we're not sitting in the same room with each other. And, and everybody in the world is not sitting in the same room with each other anymore. And I think there's something lost there that a lot of children, especially of tender years, are struggling with. And my daughter came here six months ago from New York City for a weekend and she's still here and teaching kindergarten with her fiance, who also teaches kindergarten, and listening to them try to do kindergarten not with the kids in the room is really a challenge to watch. They're really good at it, and it's really, really hard to do. You, you know, Jed, the, the, the question of whether or not a parent has a right to make a choice of the school their children attend has never been a question to me. <laughs> I, I have I have found that even today, um, if you can afford to live in Palo Alto, you make a choice to go buy a home there and get a great education. <laughs> and if you can't, then you are stuck in... Um, in a system that sometimes can be really hard to navigate. So I think that I think that public school choice is um, is an important value that every parent should have. And like Larry, I don't think I ever kidnapped a youngster to come to an Aspire school or didn't kidnap any family into coming to charter school number one uh, at the San Carlos Charter Learning Center. That was an active, deliberate choice that parents make in the interest of their most precious treasure, their children. That said, I um, I am a charter advocate. I'm not a charter chauvinist, and mm -hmm. you know I I I think I think that there is you know a public contract right. between anyone that wants to start uh, a, a public school of choice to 
to fulfill your promise. And if you cannot fulfill that promise, then you should stop doing it. Or those that authorize you should stop you. Everyone should get the chance to try. But if you just try and you don't succeed with a what I would call a purposeful test kitchen for the interest of every public school in your in your community, then we shouldn't do that. You know, right now, these are tough times, uh, Jed. I mean, the pendulum has swung so far to uh, public school choice or charter schools are bad uh, mm-hmm. that that, you know, it will swing the other way, you know, in the, in the same way that, uh, you know, 10 years ago, the San Diego Chargers were in the Super Bowl and they were winning 10 games a year. And now they're in Los Angeles, not winning any games. And the pendulum will swing back again. They'll well, let's let, let's so. let's put a point on this. I mean, yeah. um, uh, High Tech High was the first organization in California to receive a statewide benefit charter, which allowed it to o- operate schools in many different parts of the state. It chose to focus its growth within San Diego, but it had the authority if it wanted to. The second organization to get a statewide benefit charter was Aspire, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Aspire statewide benefit was attacked in court. Um, but now we are at a place where in California, the statewide benefit doesn't exist at all. It is not a mechanism that is available to anyone. And in fact, the state board is really not much of an appeal board for any new charters that want to get started. And so I guess my question for 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 you, Don, for both you guys is, is it just a matter of waiting for the pendulum to swing back? Or is it possible that so much damage could be done to charter schools now uh, that when this pendulum swings, you know, our sector won't be in a place to do the additional things that kids and families and communities need. Mm. Larry, do you want to go? Or do you want me to go? I'm smiling because I remember when I was at the state with Jed and we were getting the statewide benefit charter <laughs> with our attorney and our board chair, and it didn't look very good. And they <laughs> Jed said, let's go back to San Diego and rethink this. And I said, I'm doing it right now. <laughs> and I got up and said to the board, it would be the height of hubris for anyone to come before you and say that you benefited the entire state of California, which is the fifth largest economy in the world. As a matter of fact, if I may say, in due respect, lawyer means insult comes, I don't think <laughs> The 10 of you can say that you benefit the state of California. Non-zero <laughs> vote, baby. We got it. Okay. So, so can so, I just, can I just, I got to stop you, Larry. Wait a second. I mean, first of all, you just have to understand. I mean, only Rosenstock gets away with that. We're about yeah. ready to lose the whole room, right? And, you know, how does he decide to like turn the room? He offends them all. He insults them. It says, you don't have to say it. And also, you have to know that for a well, year before that, uh, that hearing, I was working on this legal definition of a statewide benefit. And I was just saying to Larry, as we were going up to the pulpit there, just make here the statewide benefit argument, make the statewide benefit argument. And then Larry just undercuts it like, oh my God, who's kidding who that we're making a statewide benefit. But, you know, 30 minutes later, That's, we had whatever it was, the 9-1 vote, and, and, and we had our statewide benefit charter. You will, you will agree that the smartest thing I ever did was marry somebody smarter than me. And, <laughs> and so, so basically, she said, why is it that you do your best work when someone tells you you're, you can't do something? <laughs> this, is, this is something else that I think that Ron and I have in common. I mean, there's, there's something inspirational 
not at being a jerk and fighting people. It's not, it, it's just, it's being quiet. And be, as, like as he's been talking about, about his community that he loves so much as I do mine. You're trying to be kind. You're trying to be listening. You're trying to, be, you parents, you want to say, hey, what, what happens when you come here? Let me tell you what happens when you come to high tech high. We don't segregate. We don't segregate the, the strong from the weak, period. You want to know our college data? Off the charts. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. You want to go to demography, no segregation, off the charts. You want to know, I mean, the results of all these things, off the charts. And I, I just say that braggingly. It is true. It, you can do this, right? Um, and it's also, I think that's a case of of just sticking to your knitting and just, just working. And, and and I think, I also think for, for people, um, for like like the two of us and either, even the three of us, that they appreciate the fact that Teaching people's children the most precious thing in their lives is really an act of love, frankly. It, it you know, and so, so that makes you really care who the teachers are, really care how their treatment of kids are. Not that you're saying don't you do that, don't you know? Are they really the right people to get in the right type of way? And and I think all of us have seen examples of where that plays out very well. I certainly. Certainly saw it in Ron's schools when I visited it, and and um, and I think that we were pretty successful at that. Which leaves us to another question that we're going to have to discuss in this moment: is what are we going to do, given the fact that everything's pretty close to being shut down, right? Yeah, I don't think there's a quick answer to that, but how do you wind it back up again is something that uh, keeps me up a lot at night. Yep, about. Don, what do you, I mean, how do you worry? Do you, do you worry about things being shut down so much that when the pendulum swings, we're not going to be ready? Or or is that just a overblown concern? Uh, I think it's concern. I, I don't know whether it's overblown. I, I, I just want to reference one piece for Larry that uh, I think both he and I conveniently forgot, which was our uh, commitment to one another that when we both got statewide benefit charters, we were going to have tattoos. <laughs> and um, and, and I, I'm happy to say, uh, Larry and Jed, I didn't go ahead and get that like little Aspire logo on my ankle. <laughs> yeah, I would. So, so Jed, let me, let me just, let me just talk about the concern. Uh, look, I, if, if one of the purposes of the charter law um, is to provide innovation. And if a second is to give teachers the opportunity to create their own schools, we didn't get authorizing right in California because we made made authorizing overly political as a result of starting locally, not having university opportunities, not having mayoral plays. And, and in, the, in, in, in that way, I think we missed it. I think county boards um, have a bit more of an objective play if they understand that their role is to be innovative. Because I think as a, you know, as a, as a former school district superintendent, it is hard to innovate. And you don't want to get caught up in the innovative play, which many superintendents do. And if I could take a second to just tell you what that looks like, you know, what it it looked like for me in San Carlos, 
and, and I say this in the nicest way, four parents whose kids could sing wanted a performing arts school. Hmm. And they would just hound me to create a performing arts school. And I knew exactly what would happen. If I created a performing arts school, it would be the infant in the house. It would cry. It would get on-demand feeding. And we, would, and we would staff it with people who really weren't part of the arts. So you don't want to, as a school district, you won't, don't want to get into one-offs. But you have to have innovation inform your system for whatever that innovation needs to be. If it's mm -hmm. a culinary arts academy with Vintnology in Lodi and North San Joaquin County, then that's what you have to do. So I, I feel like if you pay attention to the one, all of the purposes of public school choice, you realize you have to create more authorizing opportunities. You have to designate through policy that organizations like county offices and BOCES have a mm -hmm. responsibility to be the innovative arm, which you you know Qualcomm had innovation, Larry. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you are the innovative arm of public education at, at High Tech High. We at Aspire were trying to do the common thing uncommonly well. We were trying to do good execution. But every organization that succeeds and sustains has this. So will we get back to that? Parents may demand it. The other thing I want to say, Jed, is I don't want to just have this be about charter. I want to have this be about autonomy and yeah. how critical autonomy and accountability are. Do I want to see you know, a school district create autonomous schools and give teachers the opportunity to create and give them charter-like freedoms? Of course I do. Because, mm -hmm. you know, as, as Larry said, that's how we're going to get new knowledge. So I'll, I'll stop there. Well, I, I've said that um, I thought that my biggest mistake uh, during my 10 years at CCSA was that I allowed the charter school movement to get positioned as one massive replacement strategy mm -hmm. um, rather than also being something that offers a tool to every community to make their school better. Because that's how I got into this for, from the first in the first place. I was at a school that wasn't doing very well and there was a conversion mechanism that was in front of us. And um, I think conversions have turned out to be um, in our Los Angeles schools and some Northern um, schools as well, extremely successful, but they're more complicated. They take longer to like get going. Um, and so I think for many of us, we just didn't make that a priority. And so what happens is then charters is, is seen as nothing but a threat, right? And so the whole establishment says, Ugh. and I just think we should be doing everything that we can, whether we want to call it autonomous schools, we want to call it charter schools or whatever coming to those that are within the establishment and saying, take this tool and make your school better and we will support you. And we care as much about you doing it as we do about you know our others who have already opened charter schools. Right. Yeah, I think so too, Jay. I mean, I mean, let's look at what charter, what, what charter has done is pinpoint to a few freedoms and autonomies Correct. that make a difference. And every school ought to have that opportunity. Yep. Well, but Larry, coming to coming to you in terms of like 
you were at Ringin Latin, you know, whatever it was, the oldest or second oldest school, you know the history better than me, but, yeah, and you tried to do it with, we tried to do, right. um, you know, many of the things that you're trying to do within High Tech High and you couldn't. And, you know, it was really that charter freedom that gave you the context yeah. to fully express your ideas. Um, you know, how do we make sure that if we've got people that are w within a traditional, you know, setting, uh, that they get enough freedom that they'll go ahead and succeed and be able to make the next high tech highs rather than just like recreate the dysfunctions of Ringin Latin. Well, it's it, it, what's ironic about Ringin Latin is that it's got MIT on one side and Harvard on the other. You know, in terms mm -hmm. of innovation, you, you know, both both of them. I've been on the faculty at Harvard, of course, but but MIT. Look at how much has come out of MIT and Harvard, but really out of MIT, and so. Hence, Irwin, who came out of MIT. Um, so the issue is, yes, are we going to give a spirit of two children of all ages to let them, in a sense, create new knowledge rather than just re-spit out old knowledge? Yeah, you have to understand what went before in order to do that, but to just test them on what happened back then and not give them an opportunity to create new knowledge is always a loss, it seems to me. That's why I love the exhibitions at High Tech High more than anything else. You know, they're jammed with parents. Everyone wants to see what their child did. Kids are working in teams. We've got, we had, when we, when everything kind of fell apart last spring, two doors down from my office is a classroom. And there were two, two teachers that were doing physics and over two years they were struggling on what to do frankly and what they landed up doing was getting into rockets mm. how rockets are made and they made mm. little rockets and they made those kinds and i know this very well because i get in i used to get in very early in the morning i don't go anymore and stayed late at night because i'm very addicted to the place and i could see how many more kids were coming in and coming in and coming in now, there's a place everybody who's listening should know that's five hours north of San Diego where you have the right, if you are uh, capable enough, to send up a rocket. The only entities that can send rockets up there are uh, Cal Berkeley, UCLA, the U.S. Navy, and High Tech High. At <laughs> Okay. Uh, we have kids that, that's true. We have kids that have set their rockets up that are two percent shy of breaking the sound barrier. Now, can, can you describe what it's like to be with teenagers driving back to San Diego after that experience? They don't want to go home. They want to work all night. They just they mm. want more. They want that extra two percent. That's, it doesn't mean we're so great. It means that we get, you get that inspiration going. It, you don't get it all the time, but if you get it some of the time, it's better than none of the time. Because if you get it some of the time and you're respectful of everybody else who's curious about it, you realize you can do this too in a different sector or the same sector if you want to. More is more is more is more. And this is what I think we need as a society um, and as a country to help kids create new knowledge as well as understanding old knowledge. A uh, question for you both, um, just in terms of you know being at this stage in your guys' careers um, and just seeing all of the young people that are coming into the charter school sector right now. Um, and you know, I know Larry that at High Tech High, 
when when you made several of your first schools, you made sure that you had a senior teacher who had years and years of experience working in the traditional system, be there as an anchor so that the others that hadn't had that experience could appreciate what was different about this place, right? Um, and so I just wonder if, if you think there are things that we could be doing, you know, larger, you know, movement wide to try to um, help our uh, newcomers who are coming to the movement uh, appreciate what we what we have. Uh, and it's I'd be curious if there's like anything about the history of charter schools that you think it's really important for newcomers to understand as they come in and begin to take take our movement in in a, in a different direction, a direction that they believe is the right one. I wonder if it's pedagogy as much, if not more, but basically that's a, you're asking a very good question. And I have, I can't answer for my colleague, but I, I sense he's in the same position. I, I wanted as few rules as possible, frankly, that that was my idea, you know, it's like run until I blow the whistle type of speaking, as I said earlier, and, and, and having tremendous respect for faculty and tremendous respect for the 16 people that run the 16 schools of high tech high. Now, obviously I picked all 16 of them. So I have very high regard about them. I met with them once a week. What they saw in me over time, I don't know if they realized it or not. I intentionally got more quieter and quieter and quieter and quieter every year because I wanted it to be theirs, 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 theirs. So I think to the to, to leaders of leaders of schools who are listening to this, I think one of the big because we've all been in that role in various ways, you have to give a lot of room to people to try new things and just say this the world is not going to come to an end. We have to do some other things that the state absolutely requires anyway. We're going to do those. All right. They're not that hard, but let's really have them doing some inspirational work. I just love, as I said earlier, when parents come in and you can't even fit any more human beings in the building, they're really yeah. crazy. But everyone's looking at your work, Jed, and everyone's looking at his work over there. And no one's looking at my work. No one is being rude to me. I'm going mm -hmm. home that night and I'm the next morning and I'm thinking, I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to be ready next time. I want people to see me just like other people were noticed. It's just human condition. And I think I think that we could get farther faster, especially with what's going on on our planet right now, which is a whole mm -hmm. other new thing. Take us, it took us, as they say, it took a long time getting into it and it's gonna take a longer time to get out of it. So for people who are wondering, we have a lot of time here, but we got a lot of work to do. And how many people are listening who are teachers who are not sitting in rooms with teachers every day and mm -hmm. the challenge that is. Yeah. Don? Yeah. I, I want to echo a little bit of what Larry said. And let, let's just start with the three of us. We have yeah. all been teachers. Yes. And I think at the end of the day, every June, you know, when the school year ended, we decompressed. We probably drank a lot of beer for a couple of nights. And then then come we we July came about and we did what I would call we had I had my midsummer night's dream. And my midsummer night's dream was like, who do I want to teach with? Who do I want to work with? Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, the real chemistry is when you work with stunning colleagues, a whole community of stunning colleagues. Yeah. And I think that's what Larry did at High Tech High. It's certainly what I tried to do. 
at Aspire, particularly in the early years, and you did everything you could to create a community of stunning colleagues who were smarter than you. And I recall when we did the first applications for the first Aspire school and, and did it for the schools after that, we allowed people to apply in pairs and trios. Yeah. Which yep. is unheard of in a typical public school system, but it's a great notion to do because you've you've always got in any given system two teachers who are teaching kindergarten in two different schools who are friends and always want to work together and the opportunity never creates. That's how we got two great kindergarten teachers. Yep. They applied as a pair. So right. you you know you you have to think about innovation and new ways of doing things inside your systems, not just inside your classrooms. So yep. the the, the, you know, the piece that you asked me, is there anything about the history, Jed, that um, that newcomers to at least the choice arena or in this case, the charter arena should know is, you know, um, guys like Larry and me believed there should never be any secret sauce or never be any secrets. Correct. We were all trying to build a sector. And the only way we could build a sector was to see ourselves as trusted friends mm-hmm. and allies in a bunker. Mm-hmm. Why we do? I mean, there, there was there, there. I, I can recall saying to Larry, "I'm thinking about this, 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 or this." And basically, minutes later, Larry would send it to me. He would email me systems that High Tech High created. You created them that took hours and months and years to fine tune, he was giving it to me. Right. Yeah. And I was doing the same thing. Like that is what, that is really what matters. And if we lose that today, then, then the sector will not be what it is designed to be as a formidable, purposeful test kitchen in the interest of all children. Very well. So I, uh, one thing I would just say about charter folk broadly and about my own experience as well. Um, I mean, I come from a family of educators, mom and dad, 33 years, dad, principal, mom, a teacher. I thought I had a fairly good idea of what public schools were like, having visited their schools and classrooms my entire you know childhood. And then I got to I got to teach in, in South Central Los Angeles. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I, I my my experience has not prepared me for this. Right. Um, and the incompetence. Um, in, in, in instruction and just the operations of the school and just the cultural breakdown. I just could not believe it, right? But really, I don't think that that alone, being appalled by the incompetence and the cultural problem would have motivated me enough to like just keep working at the frenzied pace that I was, right? What motivated me was a sense that those kids and those families were getting a raw deal. It just wasn't fair, right? And then the more I learned about what was happening in all sorts of other places, just that feeling of a lack of fairness, right? And then the unfairness breaks down along all of our societal levels, you know, on race, on class, you know, on these kinds of things. And if I were to, you know, just generalize about so many people from early on in the charter school movement, you two, you know, is that both a recognition that, hey, we can do better but also we're motivated to do it because we see that those that need it most aren't getting it. Um, can you guys just comment on that in your own experiences? You know, to what extent was that 
awareness of unfairness, that extra octane that gave you guys the oomph to push through resistance. Mm-hmm. I yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll try, Jed. I'm 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 more. Yeah, I want to go back to respond to your your question more around the human capital play on this. And and again, I think I think at the end of the day, my early teaching experience uh, as a middle school science and math teacher was far more about the fact that I felt privatized. I mean, I was in my classroom, my door was closed. No one was no one really had the time or the inclination to want to share very much. Um, and so you you became you you were you became private and practical because there was no community. And even when you tried because you just didn't know one another well enough, I felt like I felt I felt like I was um, I was in a high school garage band and we were doing the best we could, but we didn't rehearse enough. And, you know, we didn't, we didn't really have good models in this. So I long for, you know, being part of a team that's not a garage band. I want to be part of earth, wind and fire. Like I want to live a place that, that really we, we think together, we act together, we improvise together. And, and that's, that's what, too few schools actually have and sustain and every teacher deserves the right to be you know part of a part of the beatles or the rolling stones or earth wind and fire and and in our case well said in our case we out of about four thousand graduate schools of education in the united Mm -hmm. states i think there's a small handful or smaller than a handful that are embedded in k-12 schools which is pretty odd when you think of it so that's why we created a grad school of education uh, yeah. mostly because someone said i'm not sure you can do that uh, and that meant that we woke up the next day and we already had and so and uh, we got ben daly who's absolutely brilliant and a great a really terrific staff of people my colleague friend for my whole career rob reardon uh with a major role in it we worked together at harvard and at cambridge and so we said well maybe to some of the points uh that that are being uh, made by by don right now is are there ways that we could bring it into schools in a way that works for, for faculty so that they get some of that inspiration after school? I, the, the downside, I understand. It was for me, too. I get up early in the morning. I'm there all day. And at night, I'm teaching classes. You know, So I say, OK, how much do we really need to be doing this? But we do. And I think that having people coming into the school to help teaching teachers grow is a very, very important thing i bring it to them rather than make them go go to it is my point letting teachers work in teams is another easy one i think that just works a lot don't don't just put people in autonomous isolation all the time that's a, that's what happens to most of us oh yeah you're in this locked up thing no let let them let them work on teams with which kids we take together and this and that or we, or we do that together or the other thing um that's really what i think we should just you know in my view in order to do get better results, we need to loosen it up a little bit, frankly. I, I, I still go back to the Committee of Ten in 1896. I mean, come on. The, 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 the world has changed in 100 years. I think schools can too. 
<laughs> yeah, well, that's that's that, that's great. So, so I got two 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 last questions for you guys. This what what uh, this uh, your last comment, Larry, leads perfectly into what I was thinking about, which is just um, you you've you've already referenced we're living in COVID, right? And um, uh, and the world is changing on us, right? And I think you know um, since the death of George Floyd, just the equity issues as well. You know, for the world is changing much more rapidly. Our schools need to, to to be able to change just to be able to keep up with the changes in the world. The other thing too, though, is I just think there's a demand now for greater equity within our public schools. They're going to have to change to get fair enough as well, right? And so Absolutely. I guess I just I just that's what ultimately makes me more optimistic about this pendulum thing, Don, is that the underlying conditions of our schools are such that there's going to be this pressure. On, on schools to get better, you know? And if they, if, um, and ultimately that kind of constructive pressure uh, is what's gonna lead things to get better. So I just, I just w- wanted to hear you guys just talk generally. Do you think that there is like a, a special moment in terms of a need for our schools to be able to evolve more rapidly now? Or uh, Wallace, we were thinking the same thing back in the 1960s and 70s. There was as much urgency to evolve our schools at that moment as well. Something unique now, or just no another another continuation of a of a very similar dynamic. I'll go. I think I think the world is changing, and schools need to also. And I think that we're going to see a lot of people of our age, not not two of our ages here where we're going to be moving on to we're going to be moving on to doing something else and there's probably a lot of us in that age group who aren't teaching or being in school because you can't quite be there anymore through no one's fault it just happened to all of us and so therefore i think there's an opportunity uh, in the world and certainly in the united states to change the demography of of teachers so that they're far more reflective of the students that they're teaching. There's no question about that. There's a lot of preparation that needs to be given to that. All right. And then of course it raises this other big question of of that we're all one after all as well. We don't want that to be segregatable. We've already tried segregation and that did not work. We don't need a new form of segregation. We need a form of integration and we're, we're still working on it and hopefully we'll be able to uh, to find it because it's uh, our, our children need it and our adults do as well. Jed, similar to Larry, um, this time it's real. Uh-huh. And I'll tell you why I think this time it's real is because this pandemic has um, has demonstrated to parents that there are three aspects to curriculum that almost never change unless you're high tech high or on, on, unless you're expeditionary learning. And the three things that never really changed and now people see it are time, space and grouping practices. Like right now in this pandemic world, you can go to school anytime. You can do it virtually. You can be in a different place. That place is not called the school. That place is your den, your garage. And so the more people realize this, and the more many children say, I can do as well, if not better, in a setting 
that accommodates my time, space, and grouping practices, we're going to see some real demand for innovation. We're going to see, let me let me just describe what that looks like. And then it gets to your question of, of equity, yeah. uh, Jed. So in the north, north part of San Joaquin County, a number of, you know, farming families, winemaking families, you know, who live on one big piece of property, take the seven or eight kids in that family and they clean out a space of a winery and they set up a school and they hire a student teacher from the University of Pacific and you now have a micro school. Yeah. And we're seeing more of that. The reality of that is we as public policy players have to make that opportunity for micro schools available to every youngster, regardless of their parents' income, and create settings where where service and wraparound organizations play a more effective role. So I think we're going to see more demand for that over time. And that's going to get at some of the innovation and some of the autonomy and choice you want. Yes. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm excited about micro schooling opportunities as well. All right. Last last question for you guys. Um, this is me going back into a mode with the two of you, very uh, what, what I'm familiar with, you know, asking you guys for advice, right? Um, uh, for charter folk, what if there was one conversation or one topic uh, or one just area of inquiry, you would encourage me to try to draw together people to be talking about over the next six months of charter folk? You know, what is it? What are the discussions that we just have to have if we're going to get through this moment uh, that's as challenging as most of us can remember? I'll go first, okay, since there's, there's a pause. Um, I would question English history, math, and science, okay? Um, I would question autonomous isolation of teachers. Um, I would question the demography of the faculty and the students. Um, I would question whether you are having children and faculty create new knowledge, just not restate old knowledge. Those are the things I would look at first as my key issues. Yeah, Jed, I, I would um, I would say you've got to have some real deep conversations about how to blur the lines and, and bend the dynamics around the structures. I mean, I, I want to start with older youngsters and say this progression of middle school to high school, high school to community college or on to college, you know, by ages is just wrong. You know, mm -hmm. we should we should start looking at work and um, and higher ed at earlier ages. We should think about the three, four and five year high school to accommodate so many youngsters who need a work experience, who need an occupational identity and need to earn money for their families at an earlier age and how we start blurring those lines matter. And again, I would say, you know, you have to do this in a collective. Look, the, uh, the, the, uh, the only reason, you know, the Beach Boys created Pet Sounds is because the Beatles came out with Rubber Soul. And this desire to, to continually innovate in whatever field you're in comes from, you know, putting, putting the newest, most innovative things in front of those folks 
who want to be challenged. So yeah, that, that's yeah. what I hope you would do. That, that's really, really uh, insightful. I, um, yeah, Darrell Bradford, I had him on uh, recently for a Charter for Chat, and he was just like, hey, you guys want to get uh, yourself situated better for the long term? Innovate and be doing things that are necessary right now. Um, and do these micro school ideas and figure out how, how it can be done in an equitable way. So um, really, really great stuff. Well, guys, I appreciate uh, immensely your guys' time. I'm going to uh, close by just um, uh, remembering uh, what, what Leonard Cohen said when he heard that Bob Dylan had been awarded the Nobel Prize, right? He said that um, awarding Bob Dylan was like Pin, putting a pin on a mountain, right? And you know, when I think of the two of you guys, right? I just think of two just massive mountains, right? And you guys have won incredible, you had incredible accolades, whatever, the wise prize. Don, I was there for your induction into the National Charter School Hall of Fame. I mean, you guys, you know, deserve your awards and, and accolades for sure, but none of the accolades do any justice. You guys and, have just and, been and, so and, important. Please note that that Don, which I love him for, brought up music from my age and my vintage. I love, thank you, brother. I, I, was waiting, I would have been really disappointed if this ended and I didn't get a little juice, but I got some, baby. Only because you're my brother from another mother. Now. You got it. Brother from another mother. That's thank it. you, Larry. Right. Thank you. Hey, thanks, guys. Okay. Take good care. Bye bye. All right.